Hi, everyone. It's Father Michael Stala. I'm the uh, spiritual director for Hope's Garden. Today, I want to kind of give my version of the Theology of the Body reading the second chapter of Genesis. So God created Adam and then gave him all the creatures of the earth. He gave him the trees and the birds and the fish and the animals. And Adam would have been pretty impressed with all this. He's walking around. He's just like, wow, check this out. We got this huge mountain and we got snow at the top of the mountain and the snow's melting and it's forming a river. That's so cool. Whoa, I just saw a salmon jump out of the river and a bear caught the salmon. I mean, he's just totally impressed. This is, this is wonderful. And he feels very privileged that he has all of these gifts that all belongs to him. But then he lets out a little sigh. And God hears within that sigh a prayer. And God says to him, Adam, what's wrong? Have I not provided you with all that you would ever need? All that could fill your heart with joy? He says, oh, Lord, I don't mean to complain. You are an artist. All that you have created is so good. But, but what? Tell me, what, what's wrong, Adam? He says, well, you know, frankly, all these things are good, but I'm better than all these things. You know, I don't even know what I'm desiring. I, I can't even name it. Ignore me, Lord. I'm just struggling today. And the Lord heard his prayer. It was a desire for someone who is like him and cast a deep sleep upon him and removed from his side a rib and then created Eve and placed her under a tree somewhere in the garden. As Adam wakes up, he's like, ah, well, another day in paradise. I don't know. Maybe today I'll hear a bird with a new song, something to fill that void within me. And then he sees Eve for the first time. What is that creature? Wow. And he runs over and he grabs onto some flowers and I don't know, butterflies or something like that. And he runs over to go talk to her. Hi, I'm Adam. This is my garden. Oh, I brought you these beautiful things. But I have to say, you are more beautiful than anything I've ever seen. And with all humility, Eve looks up and says, you're right, because I'm not a thing. I'm a person. <gasps> Alas, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, one equal with me with whom I can share paradise. To be honest, it wasn't really paradise until I had someone to share it with. I remember when I was a boy, we went and saw the Grand Canyon and I jumped out of the car and I ran over to the edge where they had this railing and, and I went to look at it. And I mean, if you've ever seen it, there is no picture that ever does it justice. And it really caught my, my attention, but more than that, it took away my breath. I was like, wow. But what was the first thing I wanted to do? I wanted to share it with somebody. I mean, the rest of the family was still, you know, getting out of the car yet. But get over here. I got to show this to you as if it was mine to show. 
but it was it was about a shared experience of something so awesome. And there's something in us that needs to share life and experience. And it really is in paradise until there is someone to share with. And Adam sees in Eve an equal. She's not just another thing as a gift, but someone who is worthy of receiving a gift. Someone worthy to say, you know, the bear has never thought about how far away the moon is. The creatures around here, they don't fall in love. But Adam is so much better than the rest of these things. And having an equal means there is someone worthy of sharing that he himself can be a gift. And she was created specifically with that purpose in mind, to fulfill Adam, who felt an emptiness without her. It wasn't paradise until she came. John Paul II would say, God saved the best for last, his masterpiece of all his artistry, of all creation, was Eve. And Adam agreed. You know, it wasn't until they sinned that suddenly they became aware that they were naked and were ashamed and covered themselves up. So it seems to imply that up to this point, they are totally naked, but there's no shame. There's no sin within this. And in some way, we see here the innocence of Adam and Eve. Now, I don't mean to say that they didn't notice that they were naked. When Adam looked at Eve under the tree and he said, wow, what is that creature? He saw her in all her splendor, perfectly naked and beautiful. And he desired her. He sought her out. Out of all the creatures, this was the one that drew him in. It was her shape, her colors. It was everything about her that draws us to one another, the attraction, which is part of being human. And as he is attracted to her, she finds, of course, an attraction in him. Out of all the creatures, he is far superior. And she sees in him the one she was meant to be a gift for. And yet what made her so special wasn't just the shapes and the colors. It was when she spoke to him that she is not a thing, she is a person. It was at that moment that his heart was filled with a true understanding of his heart's desire, one equal to him with whom he could share his gift of life. But it doesn't mean he didn't see her nakedness. In fact, part of the innocence was when he looked upon her nakedness, he didn't just see a thing, something to possess, something to use. It was in hearing her voice and her expression of her dignity that she is not a thing, she is a person, that he truly falls in love with her. And we're taught in this moment, there is nothing wrong with you as a woman or as a man in your personhood. The problem would be if you were separating the body from the person. If we only saw the body, you would treat each other as an object. But this, of course, is not what 
Adam wants. And Eve recognizes in his sincerity, you see me as a person. After the fall, the reason they want to put on their clothing is because now you don't see me like you used to. Now you see me as an object. You look at me as a thing that you desire, not a person to be loved. And this is what makes them feel ashamed and want to cover up and protect. They didn't feel that before. I remember going up the mountain in Teotepeque in my truck. A little boy had apparently escaped from bathtub. He escaped from his bathtub and he ran up to the road. And his mom, of course, was probably chasing after him. And there he is, buck naked, staring at the traffic go by. You know, a little boy doesn't even have an awareness that he's naked. He doesn't care. He's not thinking about that. In his innocence, it's just who he is. It's only later that we start to become so self-conscious about the way people look at us. And there's actually a, a bit of a protection, a defense mechanism that we have in. I mean, imagine for a second that you're coming out of the shower and you haven't quite grabbed onto the towel yet and the bathroom door bursts open and it's the plumber. Your first reaction is not going to be, excuse me, sir, this is occupied. I mean, you're going to immediately grab your towel, wrap yourself up, scream, shut that door. You're going to do whatever you can to protect yourself. Why? Because it has become our experience that people don't always see us as a person. And if they see us as an object, we might be victimized. They don't see the whole person, the gift that I am, the dignity given to me. Therefore, they might use this object for their own desires and then discard it. And out of protection, not just for the body, but for the dignity of the person, we hold back that intimacy. And yet when couples get married, they have a hard time even seeing each other in their pure state. And it is hard to kind of train our minds to get back to that Adam and Eve way of seeing each other. It doesn't mean I don't see the beauty of your body. Of course you do. It doesn't mean I'm not attracted to the beauty of your body. Of course you are. You were designed to be so. But it means that you see the fullness of the person. John Paul II would even criticize pornography as being the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little of the actual person. There was a story that Christopher West used in one of his teachings of Theology of the Body about uh, two monks walking down the street. Well, while they're walking, a, a woman of ill repute, a prostitute, comes walking by, and she's dressed as a prostitute, ill-clad. And as she walks by, the one monk looks heavenward. The other monk watches her go right by. The first monk pokes his other monk and says, brother, what are you doing? And he turns back and his eyes are streaming tears. And he says, how could such beauty give itself away to the lust of men? The first one knew if I look on her, I won't be able to see her. I'll just look at her body and that would be sinful. So I won't look. 
But the second was able to see her, the real her, maybe even better than she could see herself. And it brought great sadness to his heart that there are so many that she allows to just see the body and not see the person. If we could go back to seeing each other as Adam and Eve saw each other, as a gift in its purity, not to make ourselves blind, but to make ourselves able to see the personhood and dignity that God intended. Mm -hmm.